This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies ed tech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and it helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. We're proud to be sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, win time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and much more. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit MyFlexLearning.com forward slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's MyFlexLearning.com forward slash B-E. Welcome, everybody. You are listening once again to the Authority Podcast on the B Podcast Network. I'm Ross Romano, and my guest today is Matthew Taylor, who currently leads the Noble Story Group. And Matthew has extensive experience teaching in and leading schools, having worked in urban, neighborhood, urban charter, international, private, and magnet schools. His new book is called The Noble School Leader, The Five-Square Approach to Leading Schools with Emotional Intelligence. Matt, welcome to The Authority. Thanks, Ross. Great to be here. Let's start here. So our listeners heard the subtitle of the book there about leading with emotional intelligence. And so I want to start right with that term, emotional intelligence, something that I'm sure everybody's heard the terms, but not everybody has necessarily studied it or taken too much time to figure out what you mean by that. And Mm -hmm. so one is, can you define your perspective on emotional intelligence and where you derive that from? And then two, would you list this if you're put on the spot as the most important competency of a school leader in 2022 and beyond or 2023? I'll start with the second question. I would absolutely say this is one of the most important competencies of a school leader right now. Mm -hmm. I would say now more than ever, given what's going on in the world and what's going on in our sector. I'm sure we'll come back to that, but I'll answer your other question. With a story, I discovered emotional intelligence after I had been a teacher and a principal, and then I was training principals. And it was in an executive coaching training program that was grounded in emotional intelligence as Daniel Goleman is the author of Primal Mm -hmm. Leadership, one of the core books about emotional intelligence. And this program was grounded in his approach. And it really hit me over the head, Ross, as the missing link. Mm -hmm. I had been coaching and training principals then for a while. And um, the thing about emotional intelligence is there's basically four dimensions. One of them is self-awareness. Another is Mm self-management. Then social awareness, relationship management, right? The Mm -hmm. self ones are about what's going on inside of us. And the social and relational are about what's going on between us and other folks in the school. And the self part was really landed with me. So for example, I I used to teach a training on difficult conversations, right? And the way I would do it is I'd, I'd assign a reading from the Crucial Conversations book, I'd come in with some sentence starters and some strategies. I'd model them. 
everyone would practice them in a role play. Great training. Right. But what I learned from emotional intelligence is I'm only working with 25% of the emotional intelligence framework when I'm training that way. And that's the relationship management part. I'm teaching strategies on how to engage people. But what's missing is the self-awareness, my awareness of the things that get in my way about having difficult conversations. Maybe I'm conflict avoidant. I can teach strategies all day about having crucial conversations, but if I'm conflict avoidant, I'm never going to put them into practice. Right. And there's self-management. Now that I'm aware that I'm conflict avoidant, for example, how can I shift my kind of stories that I'm telling myself and how do I manage my emotions differently so that I can choose different behaviors in the moment? And then there's social awareness. I need to know who this other person is, where they are during this conversation to be able to choose the right strategies to engage with them. Mm -hmm. So all of that was missing from my crucial conversations training. And I share the story because that really is why I think this particular framework of leadership stands heads above, far above the rest. And that is that focus on self, you know, that mm -hmm. picking up the mirror to think about what is my, what are my core values that give me power here? What is the stuff inside of me that gets in my way and how do I manage that? Yeah. And that is, that's the five square approach that's, right. that is referenced in the title. And we can link to this as well in the show notes on your website for the book. You have a, a virtual version of this five square eyes to work through. And then you'll see the values piece is centered. And then the self-awareness, social awareness, mm -hmm. self-management, relationship management circle around that. But it is so important, right? That it is anchored in the personal values and motivations that you're bringing to the role. And so whether you're, this applies, certainly this is about leadership and, but it applies so much to everybody in education, whatever role you're in right now, that it is a mission driven values oriented profession. And everybody who comes into the field has clarity likely when they choose to enter the field around those motivators. We hear a lot around new teachers where they fit into bucket one. They had a, a wonderful schooling experience and they just really want to make sure other kids have the same bucket two. They had a, a difficult schooling experience and they want to make sure other kids don't have the same. Right? And then they have things beyond that around their social awareness, their commitment to enhancing equity and all of these things. And, but as we get into then the day-to-day -day nitty gritty of the jobs, there's a lot of other things that obscure our initial motivations. And it's so important to go back to that personal anchor and say, okay, let me remind myself, why did I get into this? Is my trajectory right now on track? Do I feel like I'm in a situation where I'm able to do that? And then as a leader, then being able to also be aware and empathic to those around you. Am I enabling my team and my staff to be anchored in their values? You want to talk a little bit more about the five square and how those all interact with one another as you talk you know, about working the five square, what that sort of looks like as you go through that process? Absolutely. And what I'll add to what you just said is that learning is inherently emotional work. And I think in our sector over the last decade or so, we've shifted towards engaging in, incre in increasingly technical ways, focusing on instructional approaches and less on the relational side of teaching and learning. And I think what that's caused is a bunch of us as educators being trained and growing up in the field in a way that has us entering spaces of teaching and learning, thinking about systems 
and structures and protocols as opposed to human beings. And so the emotional intelligence lens kind of brings it back. And I think what I would say is balances that. And it's really all about creating the conditions for learning. So if I'm an educator walking into a classroom, I need to be aware of the ways that I might get in my own way of connecting with others. I need to be managing those. But I really, the social awareness piece, I need to be really attuned to the people in that room, where they are, not only in their learning and their instructional needs, but where they are emotionally. How open are they to learning? How safe do they feel in that learning environment? If I don't know that, I can't differentiate essentially to meet them social emotionally where they are to be able to bring them the appropriate amount of challenge that will provide that learning, right? In the work that we do, we talk about the core ingredients of this being connection and challenge, right? Right. Connection without challenge is enabling, but challenge without connection is unsafe and dissonant. It's great teachers, great leaders. What they do is they figure out from other people what the exact right balance of those two ingredients is for the individual or for the group to be able to accomplish the, the goals of learning. Liz, you know, I try to make my fair share of sports references here, but one thing that really, I think there's a correlation here uh, between what we're talking about with the school leadership and the emotional intelligence piece and a baseball manager, <laughs> which is, it comes out a lot that it, particularly in that sport, that the, your people skills are the most important thing in as to strategy and other elements, because it's every single day. There's stakes. There are different stakes in a school, but there's high stakes of its own sort. You're trying your best to be successful every day, but having days where you don't win is inevitable. And it's not just about the consistency, but the constancy of saying, okay, if I'm a teacher and I have a day where I feel like my lesson didn't go as I planned, or my students didn't do as well on this exam as I had hoped, right? It doesn't mean I'm happy about that. The same as if my team loses today, I'm not happy about it, but I also have to think, how do I remain prepared for what comes next? Because there's going to be another day and another day and you can't get too high, can't get too low. And when you say that it's an inherently emotional profession, I think that's an important point because you know, term emotional, right? Being it has connotations or it's used in certain ways that it it's met negatively. This right. person's too emotional. And it's not about that because we all have emotions, but it's about one, how do we express them? How do we understand our own emotions? And how do we understand the emotions of those around us? One of the pieces being you do write about using emotional intelligence toward equity and inclusion. That's a big thing. And unfortunately, there's, I think, the debate about this that's based on my perception, it's just a lack of really committing to an understanding of what's going on. But it's understanding that there are, when we're talking about our students and the students that we want to have successful outcomes, that there are emotional factors that influence them that they might not be totally aware of, that certainly they might not be articulating in a way that their teacher would know if you don't commit to doing that work into being Mm -hmm. clued into, okay, what are all the emotions that come along with being in this environment? 
Right. And what are your expectations? What's your history? What's the history of your parents? And they, and and if you are coming in with an expectation that it's a negative emotional experience, even if that's below the surface, how am I aware of that so that I am doing the things I can do to set you up for success? That's kind of part of the emotional conditions of learning. Of course, there's more to it, but why why is that something that's important for school leaders to focus on? Yeah, you've said a lot about it already. There's a concept in emotional intelligence world called mirror neurons, the brain chemistry science. And the idea behind mirror neurons is when you and I walk into a room together, these mirror neurons start to dance. And my emotions affect your, and the more power one, one of the people has in the room, the more they control the dance, mm -hmm. right? So a teacher in a classroom, there's this great poem called, we control the weather. And that's really what it's about. The teacher in the classroom controls the emotional weather. The emotions they come in with are the emotions that happen in the room. And it's the same thing with a school leader. The school leader's emotions control the weather with, with adults who then control the weather or the, the emotional dance with students. And if you believe that the conditions for learning are largely emotional, what the adult comes in with determines what the students live. And then there's lots of research in the education field about this right? idea of the affective do domain, mm -hmm. that the doors to learning open only when the conditions, the emotional conditions that the learner requires are met. And so what great teachers do, and honestly, what great leaders, what emotionally intelligent leaders do, they're constantly scanning for the needs in the room and shifting to meet them. And to be able to do that requires so much self-awareness of my own emotions and where I am and how I want to manage those to be able to influence the emotions. Of yeah. And I think one of the specific circumstances that, that we certainly have addressed a lot of times here on, on the show, and that kind of relates to this is the feedback process, right? which is a key opportunity to be cognizant of the emotional profile of time and place and how am I delivering this? And am I delivering it in a way and delivering information that is desired and is useful? Because mm -hmm. again, like a misperception or emotional awareness might be that it's only about like happy, sad, comfortable, uncomfortable, right? Right. but it's not right. If I may get feedback that tells me something that I wasn't doing successfully, but that gives me real insights that now I know how to do that better. I'm going to be in a good emotional state because now I'm feeling like I've learned something and I've right. improved my level of competence. So it doesn't mean that I was spared that honest feedback, but it means that it was delivered in the right way that actually helped me learn. Something. Does that, does that come up a lot as a, as something that you think Absolutely. about when you're considering, okay, in the day-to-day -day of a school leader, when I'm right. trying to improve my emotional intelligence, this is a place where I feel like, okay, I need to do this. It's part of my job. Mm -hmm. And some days I feel like I want to go hide and not do it, but yet at the same time, yeah. like it can be done right. And I think there's layers of that, right? There's how I deliver the feedback. Absolutely. But another layer of that is like, where is our relationship when I walk through the door? You know, that relational trust is one of the core ingredients of creating the conditions for learning. So even if I kind of mess up my delivery, if you trust me, if you believe that I am invested in you and have your back and I believe you can do it, you're going to be, you're going to be able to hear it. Uh, the right uh, in a productive way 
Right. Then another level is culture. What's the culture of learning? What's the culture of feedback? What have I as a leader done at the group level to normalize taking risks and it being okay not to be perfect all the time? So all of these things are important in that interaction. And they all they all connect back to emotional intelligence because they're about how am I regulating myself and showing up with the right emotional contagion? And what have I done to create the conditions for this person to be able to hear it the way I intend with a growth mindset? Yeah. And I have found that a valuable part of facilitating self-reflection is, of course, also the ability to observe and reflect on what's happening with those around us. In, In this case, meaning as I am thinking about the profile that I want to have as a leader, what are my values? How do I want to, what kind of relationships do I want to have with my staff? How do I want to be aware socially? One of the great sources of insights is who are leaders that I've had in the past and how do I think they handled it and how did they make me feel? I found probably more just circumstantially by virtue of who I've happened to have a lot of experience with, that for me, I gain most of my best insights from, I do not want to do it the way that person did it, right? That person, the way that they handled things, the way they treated me, the way they made me feel is definitely not what I would want somebody else to feel. So let me figure out how to do that differently. Of course, it can be the opposite, but if you found in for yourself or for those you've worked with some kind of strategy for being able to pick up from, okay, a lot of times we think about it in in this terms of reading a book, right? Or learning from, okay, here's five ways to do this, but without having that context of saying, when I was in these shoes, and this is how it affected me, that it is personal. There is no one right way to be a good leader. So it is thinking about how do those dynamics play out and thinking about what do I want to avoid? Yeah. No, describe this work as being below the surface and deeply Mm -hmm. personal. And you're starting to talk about that because really the core question for the leader is what do you believe it means to be a leader? Right. What are the narratives that you tell yourself about what it means to be a leader? And some of it comes from bad experiences we've had. I don't want to be that way. Some of it's from good experiences. I want to, this leaders are supposed to do this. Some of it comes from the culture, right? Leaders are supposed to be this. And you know what I do in coaching and these trainings for emotional intelligence with self-awareness, so I basically boil it down to this question, what's your standard and what's your stuff? And how do you know in any given situation whether you're leading from your standard or your stuff? And by standard, I mean, what are your values in context? When you're in the challenging moment, how aware of your aware where your core values really are and how they're showing up and how aware are you of the what we call self-limiting mindsets the self-limiting narratives about leadership that get in your way and so the goal of this emotional intelligence work like one of the big biggest goals is helping people become aware of here are my core values in these situations that I want to lead into and live into mm-hmm. and here are the, the narratives I'm telling myself that get in my way and lead to behaviors I want to stop yeah, which leads to that self-management point of now that I'm becoming aware of this, I want to change these narratives because we always have a choice about what we're telling ourselves. I want to change this narrative and replace it with this one. 
And over time with deliberate focus in the moment, if I can make myself do that, make that choice, I literally build new neural superhighways in my brain and change what I used to think was a fixed trait about myself. And so you referenced the the seven self-limiting mindsets. So as for listeners in the book, the book is really structured around that five square approach that we talked about earlier, and then applying that approach to these seven self-limiting mindsets and thinking through them, reflecting on them and thinking about, okay, does this one apply to me? And certainly all seven won't apply to everybody, but everybody will have one or two that they struggle with a little more. Um, a few of those are transactional leader, imposter, implementer. We, we can't go in detail through all seven, but to talk about those a little bit in particular, are there a couple that stand out as challenging leaders more at different stages of their, are there a couple that when somebody's brand new to administration, sure. they struggle with the most versus the ones that we struggle with when we're 10 years into it. Yeah. First, a couple of words about the seven mindsets. These are the seven most common narrative that I've experienced over and over again in training and coaching school leaders that are those mindsets that get in the way. And I start the book there because it's a hook. I've yet to find a person who doesn't say, oh my God, that's me, like in that one right there, or these two. And I want to make the point that this is not a deficit-based book or a deficit-based approach. That's a way in, but what we're really focusing on mostly through the book is how to identify and leverage the core values, the power that we all have already inside of us to overcome those things, to overcome those narratives. So the most common self-limiting mindset I see in new leaders is the doer mindset. Most new leaders have been promoted to leadership because they were really good at getting stuff. Whatever they put their hands on turns it to gold. And if you're that person's leader, you're like, this is who I want in the seat, getting stuff done at the next level. The problem is when you're leading people, rather than being a direct doer, your job is to work through others. And so actually the mindset of, I am really good at getting stuff done and that's what I'm supposed to be doing, gets in the way of the leader at that point. And really it's trust with the people that they're leading because people want to do their job. And if the leader's doing their job for them and taking away their disempowering them, then it's really just disrupting the conditions for learning or being successful for those people. Right. And so the doer is one that that's very common for new leaders. I think another one that's very common for new leaders is the transactional. And that's the internal narrative that I now have the authority. I'm going to tell you what to do and you're going to do it. And that's how leadership works. And unfortunately with human beings, that's not how leadership works. It's far more, I guess, messy than that. And people, there are far, there are lots of needs we have that need to get met beyond that transactional. And stories about leadership in our culture have traditionally made leadership look like a very traction, a transactional thing. And, and so that's where these narratives come from, I think. This is what a leader is supposed to be like for someone who's never studied leadership or has never gotten any training. And so it can be a real hard lesson to learn. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, the transactional one stands out to me because being transactional is antithetical to what it means to be a leader, right? If you're transactional, you're staying in place. I give you something, mm. give it back to me. We're going back and forth versus leader is moving things forward. And it's investing. <laughs> it's I'm putting in what I know needs to go into this for us to have a long-term gain. And I need to be comfortable that if we believe we're doing the right things now, that the results will be there later. 
But if I'm worried about what's coming back to me or I'm thinking about it in terms of it becomes difficult if you're in a leadership role, because it doesn't mean that you should be negligent to your own needs and your own wellness and well-being and what you deserve as far as your treatment. But at the same time, it's understanding that the role is really about being accountable to others and what Mm -hmm. you're putting into it and not worrying about well, it's certainly not worrying about what they're doing for you, right? Thinking about what they're doing toward the mission, toward the purpose. Yeah. Okay, my job is to help you. Your job is to help students, right? If you're not helping students, then that's a problem for me. But right. my job is to be there for you. Ross, it's, I see it all the time, mm-hmm. up and down the leadership pipeline from the, to the, from the very top. And I think it's because a lot of people are really good at the technical aspects of the job. Let's say I've been an an academic dean or I've been an instructional coach. Suddenly I'm a people leader, like I'm a building leader. As an instructional coach, I was very focused on technical. And so that's what leadership has meant to me. And so I go into the top role now thinking people are going to execute their technical skills. I'm going to guide them. I'm going to tell them when they're not doing it well enough and show them how to do it better and hold them accountable. And that's leadership. When in fact, that's not, as you were talking about, there's so much more to it, but I, but it's so common. And I chalk it up to um, leadership development programs and the leadership development that happens in schools, I believe has become so much more technical. And so that people haven't had any exposure to this kind of people leadership, that like the more human side, which is, which is a real shame which is why I have a job that I come in and start talking about this and people's eyes get wide and a lot of people get really excited. Yeah. And there are these changes in, as you transition from roles, what makes you good at one thing and that earns you the opportunity for the next thing, right? In a lot of cases, okay, if you're very successful as a teacher, you're then going to be considered as a solid candidate to move into administration if you apply for that and then you move into there. And But what you need to do, what your day-to-day looks like, the way in which you are able to self-evaluate and feel as though you're being evaluated by others change. And so that's why it certainly adds up that the doer is a mindset that newer leaders would struggle with because when you're in one role, one, it's that kind of hands-on day-to-day role. And you know that that's a rule of thumb, right? <laughs> if I'm getting a lot done, I feel like I'm succeeding. And also that's what I need to do to get attention and get noticed and move up. And then if you're in a leadership role, a lot of times the most effective leaders are the ones who make it look easy. And if you're new in that and you're worried about, okay, what does everybody think about this? Right? Do they think I'm not doing anything? Because you have to get to the point where you've done it long enough, where you have that confidence and you know how you're, you're focusing on the right things and saying, my time is spent very differently now, but it's spent where it should be, but that doesn't happen over. And there's a lot of job is harder than it's ever been. There are pressures coming from all sides politically around student achievement from unions, so many things, all the that are, that distract from the core job. And what I preach in, is that the core job of the school leader is creating the conditions for learning. Yeah. And so much of those pressures drag us away from that. Um, and so what I try to do in this book and what I try to do in the work that I do with leaders is to create the space for them to slow down, to come back into themselves to take a deep breath and to refocus on what do I need to do in this situation or what do I, 
how am I prioritizing creating the conditions for learning, not just for kids, but for everyone in my learning community? Yeah. But why did you choose to write the book now? They, are the, do you think the challenges that are facing leaders have changed a lot? Are they a lot different than they mm-hmm. used to be? Is it a little more things that you understand better now than you used to? A little bit of both? I would like to say that I, I was smart enough to write the book now because it was needed the most now. But the truth is my practice was evolving. I realized as a point, I was at a point where I had created this approach that I could download into a book and make accessible to more people. For me, this work is all about impact and it was a way to to reach more people and to support more people. But I do think the book came at just the right time through the pandemic, through the politicization of education. The job is harder than it's ever been. We have the teacher attrition. I think I read today that almost 50% of schools right now have at least one teaching position unfilled still. And people are burnt. People are miserable because we're all trying to recover still from the last three years. And all of that speaks to emotion and emotional conditions. And of course, there's so much of it that's outside of the control of a school leader. But what is in control of the school leader, how can I impact the conditions in my building day to day to reinforce the conditions people need to be able to thrive, to be able to learn? Yeah. Yeah, and that certainly leads into building, it's building the conditions for learning is a critical part of building the conditions and the culture for retention too, right? Right. That's why they're there. The teachers are there to feel like they can help students learn. If they feel like the culture is, is in opposition to that aim, they don't have much reason to stick around. However, even in a strong culture, there's going to be some level of burnout or sometimes where there's sure. a little bit of that going on. How are you working with leaders right now to anticipate and address that? And then the focus on the aims of what building such a culture looks mm-hmm. like. Yeah. In the most healthy schools in the country right now, there's burnout. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt about right. it. I think I, I'm talking to school leaders about how do you balance the increasing urgency to move students forward academically, the urgency has never been stronger with the need, the human needs of the people in the building, the needs of kids and the needs of adults. That's a standard versus stuff, really difficult question that's day to day, but it's also existential. I'm talking to leaders about how you're taking care of yourself because leaders are the, the emotional contagion point, right? If I am burnt, and I'm, that's how I'm functioning. That's the energy that I'm putting out into my school. And so I'm trying to help leaders get healthy to get to reset so that they can do the same things for their teachers, create the space in the school for it to be okay to do that, first of all, to create a culture of self-care that we're that it's okay for us to do that, that we're going to do it together, that we're going to support each other to do that. And then to then how do we cascade that into the classroom for kids how do we make how do we make sure that we're prioritizing the social and emotional space as much as we're prioritizing catching up with mixed skills and so there are a million decisions that get made every week that somehow connect to all of that and it's about helping leaders see those opportunities helping leaders deal with the tension of balancing the social emotional needs with the academic needs that is the biggest challenge right now yeah yeah and a lot of, of course there's a lot of micro 
moments that can mm. really influence that those overall feelings of I guess refocusing our attention as a teacher or as whomever on the successes that we are having or again right. revisiting what are our values why are we here what are the things that we're working on in that regard that are more important and more fundamental than whatever is happening today that's making mm -hmm. me feel a little disoriented and, and I'm a big proponent of the kind of proactive storytelling communication around schools around really focusing on highlighting the good work that's happening, the good things, talking about all the objectives and goals we have, talking about how our students are succeeding. And mm -hmm. even by doing that, by better engaging the community and the parents yeah. and having them have a better understanding of that, it changes their perceptions, which yeah. then is going to really change the feeling teacher has, particularly a lot of teachers in this current um, climate of burnout and politicization and all these things that make me feel like, sure. okay, the default is people are feeling negative towards me. Now, how can we shift that? That again, that comes back to my emotional state. Do I feel as though I am supported? Do I feel like my good work is recognized? Do I feel like my commitment, the commitment I made to being in this work is something that I only know about myself or does anybody else recognize that? Yeah. You're talking to what keeps people in a job, right? I would add to that. Do I feel like I'm growing? And do I see myself at least on the path to living the life I want to leave as live as a human being? So these are the things I think as a school leader that are important to be focusing on if I want to keep my teachers, but also if I want them to be creating the conditions for students. And you talked a minute ago about the power of story, the power of the common narrative. I'm right with you on that, Ross. Leaders have the ability and the power to create the story, to create the common narrative. And there's certainly, when I've seen leaders who do this really well, be able to shift the, the emotional reality in a school. A, a big piece of that right now too, I think is short-term focus versus long-term focus. Like the short-term focus is uh, if we're only focused on what can we do this year to move the needle on academic achievement, it's going to be incredibly stressful. If we can focus more long-term, how can we over a period of years try to like rebuild and move kids forward? I think it's more realistic. Yeah. And it can be a healthier, more energizing. Yeah, absolutely. Matt, we referenced earlier the virtual five square mm -hmm. exercise you have on the website. So I want to close with that. As far as next steps for our listeners, if they want to go and check that out, we'll put the link. It's noblestorygroup.com forward slash book, but you can check that out. It's in a, a Google doc that you can copy. And is there, is that a good starting point maybe for a listener as they're absolutely. maybe getting ready to dig into the book? What I would say is if you're a leader who wants to work on some of these kinds of emotional intelligence competencies with your team, or if you're a teacher who wants to like work on yourself, this, this worksheet essentially captures all of the coaching questions that I would ask you in each one of these dimensions we've been talking about. And it's a space for you to reflect, to build new awareness for yourself about what you may not be aware of, about your narratives that might be getting in the way. To, to develop new self-management strategies independently, to do that social awareness perspective taking on the, your biggest challenges, and to think through how do I engage people in this really 
really difficult challenge. And you can download an unlimited number of these worksheets that you can use over time. You can apply them to your big challenge of the moment, or you can use it to build, here's a learning plan for myself to, to shift and to grow in ways that, that I want to grow. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. So yeah, listeners, check that out. We'll put the link below, but it's noblestorygroup.com forward slash book. You can learn about this. You can learn more about the book, The Noble School Leader, and how you can order it as well. And just work through your own awareness of emotional intelligence and what you want to bring to your school. Even if it's something that you feel like you're doing well, it always helps us to know a little more and to be able to articulate the type of leader we want to be, the areas that we're focused on and, and it helps you, of course, to be a better leader to others who want to refine their own approach when you can help them to understand it as well. Check that out. Uh, and also, please do subscribe to the Authority Podcast for more author interviews like this one or visit bpodcastnetwork, bpodcast.network to learn about all of our shows. Matt Taylor, thank you so much for being on the show. Ross, thanks for having me. This has been a lot of fun. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com forward slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all of these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash BE.